Growing up on the council estates of Preston, where she experienced the depths of domestic violence and homelessness, this mum worked hard to carve out a successful career as a singer, but reached a point where it all came crashing down. A struggling single mum sat in her car alone one night. She knew she had a decision to make. Hear this mum's story of what she chose and how she went on to become the UK's most exciting breakthrough motivational speaker, speaker coach and author on her way to building a six-figure business helping other women to overcome their fears and find their voice. Join me as I talk to Danny Wallace. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women, just like me and you, as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, Danny Wallace. Hi, Danny. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Thank you for asking me. Ah, oh, you're welcome. And I was just sharing with you before. I'll, I'll let the audience in a little secret. They probably know I'm not the world's greatest presenter. I'm a business coach. I'm a business strategist. So I'm really excited because I know you're an amazing speaker. I've heard you talk and and. Um, I'm, I am just going to be able to sit back and relax and enjoy your bounce back story. What is it? Please do share. So thank So yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, Nicola. And it's, do you know what's beautiful about having a podcast is that you, um, you can create your own space. You don't have to be a presenter. It's just about being you. And I just love the fact that you're doing this. It just makes me so happy that we, there should be more of this. I love it as a way of communicating, which is, which is what I do. So my name is Danny Wallace and I am the Queen Bee, which is quite a bold statement to make. I'm like more than aware. But the, the whole premise of my business is much less about me and more about particularly women, although I'm an inclusive brand, finding their voice. And the reason why I do that is because for a long, long time, I didn't have a voice. So even within an incredible corporate career that I had in my personal life, I was very suppressed. I was very, um, uh, I was lacking in a lot of confidence, true confidence in myself. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. But if I, if I tell my story in a, a sort of linear fashion, it might help, it might help people understand why it is that I do what I do. Sounds great. <laughs> so I grew up on the council estates of, of Preston, just kind of floating around the breadline. We were not a well-off family. You know, work was, was hard and also money was hard won. Um, and as such, we were not destitute for fear of my mum getting upset. She doesn't like people to, when I first started to tell people that we were poor because we were, she was like, Daniela, don't tell them that we were poor. They, they, like, you were loved and you were looked after and you were well turned yeah. out. And, yeah. and you know, mum did her absolute best with the very, very little that we had, but we didn't have a residual income. We didn't get to do anything sort of nice outside of general day-to-day living. And, um, and it was hard work. And my dad was an alcoholic um, and indoors, he was one person and in the outside world, he was another person. There's this kind of duality to, to our family and how things work. It was quite chaotic um, growing up. And 
one of my primary school teachers uh, found that I could sing um, and wanted to give me lessons, but we couldn't afford for me to have any kind of sort of singing lessons. They were quite, I mean, they were expensive then, they're really expensive now, but mm-hmm. I mean, they were expensive even then. So they'd agreed for like a nominal fee. Like, I think it was like a couple of quid a week. It was something like that, uh, where she would teach me the basics of music and singing. And um, that was it till I was about 15, 16, where I desperately wanted to travel and go on the abroad holidays that my friends want, you know, friends were able to go on. And I knew that that really wasn't going to be the case for us uh, or for me particularly. So what I, I was quite tenacious. I thought, well, if I'm not going to be able to pay to go abroad, then I'm going to get paid to go abroad. So awesome. I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got, I had that in me. It was how do I make it happen? And that was something that was, you know, in me from a relatively young age. How do I, if I, if I can't do it, I've got to find a way to make it happen. And that's what I did. I went and auditioned a little bit younger than perhaps I should have done and went to work for different holiday companies. I used to do production shows in resorts all around the world, America, Finland, Barcelona, Lanzarote's all over. There. It was fabulous. It was really great. I need to interject and say for our audience, I've heard you sing and <laughs> you are incredible. And I'm not surprised you've been to all those places around the world because <laughs> you're an incredible singer, an amazing voice. Uh, thank you. I love it. I, and I genuinely love it. And it was, I had no real formal training. Um, a lot of what I learned, I learned sort of on the job. But whilst I was doing that, I learned how to present. So quite quickly, the places that I worked for would put me in a lead position around comparing. So I would bring acts on and off stage for the bigger resorts that I worked at when they had like named acts it would be me that would compare the evening or calling bingo or <laughs> doing all of this like talking as well as singing on stage so I got to learn how to present and how to speak on stage really quite early um I moved back to the UK my grandma took ill and we moved back to the UK and I wanted to spend you know my grandma's last years with her she'd done a lot of helping bringing us up during that really tumultuous time and I felt really drawn to come back to the UK so I became a blue coat at Pontins which was it was fabulous it was a year in my life it was great and I I met someone whilst I was there and um is, is we, there literally a blue coat I have to ask if you it got is that? a blue coat yeah it's it literally like a, if you if you still got one no I had to give it back when I when oh. I left <laughs> I had to give them back when you leave some people do smuggle them out but I was like I was that over the amount of work that's involved in working in any kind of entertainment or animation role I was like take it I've had enough because it isn't just in those jobs it isn't just singing it's not just performing it's everything it's you know it's welcoming the guests at the beginning of the week it's tidying out props it's running kids clubs it's all it's so many hours for so little pay but it was a beautiful experience in terms of I learned a lot I learned a lot about myself I learned a lot about stagecraft and I learned a lot about love I met somebody and uh, we moved uh, back to Preston the family were very much like do you not want to get a proper job now Danny so that's kind of what I did. Came back to Preston with this guy and we got engaged. I got a, I got a proper job working within a contact centre. Because this was the time of the rise of the contact centre. Lots of people were working um, in contact centres, particularly in Preston, because we've got lots of old like mill buildings and they're perfectly set up for these, for these contact centres. 
But I worked for the cloth and warehouse and they were great, a brilliant company to work for. They were great at talent management. So they would spot people coming in as their contact center was growing and manage from within because of course it's easier to pay somebody on things like secondments than it is to bring people in at the skill level. So they did a lot of growing within the business. And I was very, very lucky that for all I missed at university, I got to learn within the HR and the learning development facility within Carphone. Really, really lucky. I got a great job in the learning development on the learning development team. So I was doing all this. It was all wonderful. And we uh, bought a house and had a baby and sent out the invites to our wedding. And then two weeks later, my partner said that he didn't want any of it and he left, uh, which you can imagine was quite a blow um, and left me feeling really vulnerable because I had tried to create the stable life that potentially I didn't have when I was younger. And looking back on it, you know, he wasn't the right guy for me. It was a husband-shaped hole that I was trying to fill. I was trying to kind of validate myself with somebody, anybody. And bless him, he was the first kind of kind person that, that, that kind of I got involved with. And we just stayed together. But it really wasn't for him. He wasn't ready for having a family. He wasn't ready for all of that. And I was, I was ready. Like, I'm, I'm getting anything <laughs> that I want to sink my teeth into. I'm like a dog with a bone. I was, I was having the baby and the wedding. And I must have been an absolute nightmare for somebody who was, didn't really have any aspirations. Bless him. So we left. But of course, that left me feeling really, really vulnerable. And very quickly, I got into another relationship. And very quickly, it transpired that that person, uh, how best to put it, he's, that relationship developed into one of domestic abuse very quickly. So this person particularly preys on women that were vulnerable that would look after him so that he could sort of drop anchor, so to speak, and then do whatever he wanted. And of course, that left me really conflicted. And that was a very quite a violent relationship. And one of the one of the kind of byproducts of this is that often perpetrators will encourage a pregnancy relatively early in that relationship. And uh, what what happened was is that yeah, very quickly I got pregnant with my second daughter Daisy. And after that, things escalated in such a manner that we needed to get intervention and we needed a, you know a court injunction to you know separate the two of us and make sure that you know I remain safe and the kids remain safe. So very very quickly after that obviously I've got this fabulous job no one knows all this is going on by the way in in this in this job and all underneath things were quite tumultuous you know they were Mm. chaotic I'm sitting here nodding my head because it it really resonates there's been chat this is about your story not mine but I just want to let the audience know and I'm sure there are people listening in who can who can empathize relate Mm. been been through chapters like that themselves through toxic yeah abusive controlling relationships or know somebody that has so yeah, yeah. really resonates I'm sitting here nodding my head and it's, and it's what you say about that vulnerability we yeah. can be really strong really smart mm-hmm. women I know when my marriage ended in 2010 it made me very vulnerable yeah and different and susceptible Correct. to then falling into that that yeah that trap and we don't recognize it at the time for sure and it's only in hindsight that I you know I felt unlovable and this guy came along and loved the hell out of me like it mm. and and it, looking back at like what are the symptoms I guess of, of domestic abuse is this initial love bombing yeah this you know showering with gifts or rose petals in the bath or you know even for me getting a full night's sleep like that was a massive 
act of service for me. I was on my own with a baby. She was only eight, nine months old. And one night he got up and put a dummy back in for her so that I could sleep through the night. And for me, that's like, no one was doing that for me. Mm. You know, I was a single parent, first time parent. So yeah, and the, the statistics around this is one in four, one in four partnerships experience some degree of this, which is just, it's crazy. Um, and again, really informs a lot of what I do now. I'll share with you in, in a little bit. But yeah, I, we I got out of this situation and nobody knows at work all this is going. I have this fabulous job and it's, you know, sort of 40-ish grand a year, something like that. And um, even though that was the case, I then had two children under the age of three in full-time nursery so that I could sustain this job. And there's no help that when you earn over a certain threshold, you, mm-hmm. you don't get the kind of help that really you need to help keep your kids in school. And so we ended up losing the house. So we were homeless. I mean, the, me and the two girls were, we didn't have anywhere to live. So we ended up sofa surfing between family. Our family were great. We couldn't access any kind of refuge because a, they were full and B because of what I earned, it would have been more financially. It was been, it would have been financially beneficial for me to have stopped everything to have stopped working and what have you. And the pride in me was like, bonkers. Isn't yeah, it? it is. It's crackers. It's crackers. And I don't know what the fix is. You know, it is what it is. Um, but we'd lost the house and it was really a case of then slowly building myself back up again. But I could only do that really when I'd hit what I would describe as, I know it sounds cliche, but a real rock bottom. And I was working from, my mum's or you know my job had me going from London to Warrington to Preston within the week and you know my kids would either stay with my sister or my mum or a friend's and then the weekend I'd come home and I remember tucking them into bed one night before I was going back down to London and I just didn't know whether I was kissing them goodbye or goodnight I just didn't know that as part of whether I was a healthy part of their lives and whether they're you know the the mistakes that I were making I was making that they were suffering off of the back of it and and I got in my car and I was like, if I were to end it all, people would be better off without me. I'm such a burden to everybody because of these really poor mistakes, these poor decisions that I was making. And um, I kind of decided in that moment, either life was going to continue happening to me in that way and I was going to allow it or I was going to happen to life and start to really get to grips with my responsibility in the whole of this, in that actually my reactions and my actions were going to dictate my outcomes and I couldn't just float along and allow things to happen anymore so that really started my that moment really started my the story of bouncing back I guess and it was at that point I started to consume lots of personal development audiobooks when I was in the car and I was really starting to work on myself. I switched the news off, things like that, really started to protect myself from the media and really got to grips with myself again. And the fact that, you know, I did, I could dictate my, I could choose better outcomes for myself and my kids. And slowly but surely, we, you know, we built ourselves back up. We got somewhere to stay. In fact, the house that we're living in now um, is where we, we got to stay very kindly, um, you know, my friends, uh, mum and dad had just bought this place to do it up and it said, well, you can move in and like mind the place for us if you want for a while. And it's taken us sort of 10 years to write all of the credit issues that have gone on around losing the house. So I'm just going back to that kind of pivotal moment. We, um, I say we, because the kids came along with me on this whole journey. I didn't, wasn't doing this on my own. I, 
came out of corporate and met my husband. Well, got with my husband. We met years ago, but kind of missed each other. So we'd like, we finally like created a relationship together, which was great. And he's so supportive now. And uh, one, one evening I was crying in the kitchen because the only place I sang anymore was my kitchen when I was washing up or in the car or in the shower. And he kind of said to me, well, Danny, why don't you go and sing? You know, you're, you're 30 now. You want to go and get, go and sing. You know, I, I can look after the kids. You know, we've established a relationship. With, you know, we're living together. Everything's all right. Go and sing. So I did. I set up my own little singing business. And my diary was full from that day on. Uh, like, I always kind of pinch myself. And I know you said that, you know, I'm a great singer. But I'm, I'm all right at it. And people, other people saw that I was all right at it and would book me. You're awesome. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I ended up singing full time and, and learned quite quickly. That's quite taxing. Mm. So when people see performance and entertainers, they get to see the good bit on stage, which is the performance bit, which is only really about 15% of what it is to be a singer. The rest of it's driving. It's more of a driving job <laughs> than it is an entertainment job. And, and it's so time consuming to make make ends meet when you're doing that so I'm working Thursday night Friday night Saturday night at wedding Saturday night Sunday day Sunday night and Monday night and my voice is getting tired and I'm tired and I'm not seeing the kids and I thought do you know what I've got this whole skill set from being in learning and development for so many years that I'm not using and the more I see people in business struggling they don't have the same access to the same kind of learning that I did within corporate I wonder if there's a space that I can create for small businesses, entrepreneurs, people that are, you know, working on their own in business, because it gets quite lonely. How do I create a space? And I was watching uh, the B movie with my kids. <laughs> and there's this quote, um, and, and the quote goes, I'm paraphrasing, it goes, bees aerodynamically should not be able to fly. Its little wings should not get its fat little body off the ground. And the bee, however, doesn't care what humans think is impossible. The bee flies anyway. And I'm like, love that. Nicola, I clutched my pills. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's it. I, I want to create a space where um, it's safe. We help each other and we get to choose to fly anyway. And when we meet each other, we might not feel like that. But by the time we've spent time with each other, we, you know, we, we, we help each other. You know, we help each other show up, rise up and rise up. And that's what we do. Do you know how you said you heard that that quote, that sentence in that film, and you you clutch your pearls? And <laughs> well, there was there's you said a sentence earlier, and I and I have to just say it again. We'll cut, let's let's just recap there because it was so powerful what you said about having that moment sat in your car where I loved when you said. You know, I, I've got this choice. Life can either happen to me or I can happen to life. I literally right. got goosebumps as I heard <laughs> you say that. And, and I hear that, you know, that, that was like a pivotal moment. You said your really bounce was. back story began there and you went yeah. into singing. But it's almost like that, that was that catalyst moment that has led to all these incredible things that you do now and the way in which you you support people yeah what, what an incredible and an incredibly powerful statement say I'm gonna happen to life yeah and that's what I did and that's what I started doing and that's what's happening now and it's just incredible to but here's the thing Nicola I made that decision it was a choice it wasn't a I'm going to, I'm just going to live the next day and see what happens. This is, it was an aggressive and tenacious. <laughs> All right. So if I'm not, and, and 
if I'm, if I'm not ending things here, and this isn't the end of my story right here, right now, then I need to be writing something that is going to be, you know, legacy driven, that is going to help people. And it was a really active moving forward based on that. You know, it was always my... In that Queen Bee, in the Queen Bee space that you've created now Mm. for other people to join, what kind of choices do you think those people, the people that you now help are, are making that leads into that, you know, a bee shouldn't be able to fly, but it does, it, you know, it just defies all the odds. It, it, and what kind of choices do you think the bee people the bee make? People, the queen bees. <laughs> the queen bees. It, it's a lot of what people feel in business is they're an imposter that there's always somebody that's more clued up than them or have more expertise than them or that have been in the game longer so they've got bigger audiences than them. So it's not really, you know, their place to start trying to do that or make any inroads into that industry. So, you know, the choice is they either do and they show up and they learn how to build their audience and they learn how to be authentically themselves or they don't and they don't do it. And then they don't get to help the people that they want to help. Cause I genuinely believe that nobody, especially in the entrepreneurial space, nobody's just in it for the money. People have a product or a service. And they want to help people with that product or service. Even if you're selling, I don't know, even if you're selling pens, you want to help people write better with your beautiful, <laughs> incredibly ergonomic pen, you know, you're in business because you want to help people you want to solve problems and if you don't do that or if you're frightened and in my case I teach people how to speak about their businesses if you don't share what you do you are leaving people unhelped and a lot of what people when they come to me wrestle with is really owning who they are within their business and what they do and being completely valid in that but in choosing not to or having chosen potentially not to up to a point, they found that their audience hasn't grown. They've not made the sales that they want to they, that they want to make, or you know they've not helped the people that they want to help. And it's been a lot about this sort of imposter syndrome, or this being afraid of 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 speaking about themselves. Because it's, it's especially in the UK, it's not a very British thing to do. It's to toot your horn and say, "I'm fabulous. My name is Danny, and I'm the Queen Bee." The very fact, I mean, it's audacious to to turn up and say that. And then when people learn about what it is to be a queen, it's actually a reclamation of success. Uh, It's a reclamation of of your birthright to abundance. And the queen was born the queen. And and I was not born the queen. I was born on the council estate in Preston. But my birthright is still the same. I've just got to work out how to make the right decisions to go ahead and get it. Go, Go and take what's mine and to encourage people to take what's theirs as well and take up that space and go and help the people that they want to help and that the phrase i am the queen bee is is a gift to everybody who hangs out with me you know you are the queen bee too nicola or the king bee or the royal bee or however people identify as they come to the hive uh, but it is a movement in that way and they and they're the decisions really that people make and the visibility thing is a huge one do you think the visibility thing is a huge one, as in a huge challenge, particularly for women versus men. Is there a gender thing going on there? Or is it challenging for for both genders equally? I think it's challenging across the genders, but it is harder for women and indeed anyone who is othered. So members of the black community, people of colour, members of the LGBTQ plus community, anybody who is not and 
bear in mind I married a straight white man like I love I love men it's you know when it's not that kind of old school burning brass type of feminism that I that I talk about but there is definitely an inequality with regards to how women feel about being more visible and that comes and that's systemic that comes from you know the media uh, it comes from the media then the society as a result of of what happens in the media because of course that is uh, it's where all the kind of anti-feminist or patriarchal propaganda takes place without getting too political but it is it becomes systemic it becomes part of our culture that you know how many times have you heard the phrase little girl should be seen and not heard mm. we get told this from when we're very little so when we when we pitch ourselves and when we throw our gauntlet into the ring what we're what we're doing is essentially beginning a competition according to the media or or you know society with each other when it's not the case and men really thrive in that you know competition culture and actually as human beings that that's not how women are made we're being thrown into that very masculine competitive environment when actually women are the carers and the nurturers and we can still be successful and visible and still have other people that are in our field doing well but we don't you know that's not something that's not a concept mm, so that we're true. brought up with you know so we're, we're brought up to fear people say people join a network and they'll go oh is there anybody else that's a hairdresser in that network or is there anybody else that's a i don't know a transformational coach or and they might double think about whether to join that network because somebody else is doing it when actually there are seven and a half billion people in the world. I can't service seven and a half billion people in the world. Needless to say, seven and a half billion people in the world aren't going to like me. You know, you know I'm going to turn some people off. So I'm going to need to know other people doing what I do because what I do is important so I can send the people who I'm not for to. So knowing other people that are in my sector and in my field is really important. It's the same for everybody Absolutely. In, the business, in the business field. Now, all those queen bees... Mm-hmm. Uh, king bees, <laughs> royal, out there, bees. <laughs> out the royal bees out there in our audience who perhaps don't recognize their queen royal bee um, yeah. you know potential just mm-hmm. yet and listening to you it's you've sown some seeds and maybe they're thinking oh you know I need to you know fly more I want to spread yeah. my wings more I want to yes. be more visible I want some of that perhaps they've been you know stuck fearful when it comes to this whole visibility thing so what would be the starting point piece of advice so for so I have um I have a a nifty little thing that I say in fact I've got a little show that I do in the morning on Facebook and it's called the show up wise up rise up show and it's based around this strategy that I share with everybody is you know it's not it's not a coaching tool I use i speaking is where I coach but this little tool this way of thinking is the best way to start for anybody I would say and it's identifying where or what rising up looks like for you so and this could be to any area of your life so you can start whether you are 50 years in business or two minutes in business or even just thinking about it so first of all you've got to work out what does rising up look like What does rising up look like for your relationships? What does rising up look like for your business? You know, what would that goal level be? Where are you aspiring to? And then you've got to think, okay, so how are you showing up right now? And how does showing up in that rising up space, that risen up space would look like? And is there a gap? You've got to identify. And then 
if there is a position where you've got to rise up, there's something that you don't know. Because if you knew it, you'd already be in that spot. So you've got to work out what you've got to learn. So doing this piece of work right at the beginning of your journey as you're dipping your toe in is really helpful because you identify how you're showing up now, where you are right now, and acknowledging and loving the hell out of that. Like you are where you are right now, and that is totally cool. Identifying where you want to be and then identifying what gaps are in your knowledge that are preventing you from being there because you obviously don't know something. If you knew it, you'd be there. So by showing up, rising up and rising up and doing that in a cycle all the time, I'm doing it like working out where's my next level. Okay. Well, what does that look like? How am I showing up right now? Is that how that person shows up? If the answer is no, what do I need to know about myself? What do I need to learn? I love that. And if there are people out there that have those gaps around speaking and, and showing up in the way you've described, we're going to put all your contact details and your website in the show notes so people can go find out more, come find you, come connect yes. with you and find out what you're doing. It's, come and get amongst the hive, yeah. Yes, join the hive. <laughs> Danny, I could literally sit here and talk with you for hours. It's such a pleasure. Unfortunately, I don't know if you could hear the doorbell on that ringing. That's an Amazon delivery my doorbell and I can that, hear it <laughs> that, do you know what that's been one of the one of the consistent noises in most people's houses yes, is the Amazon delivery thank goodness for Amazon we're going to give you a bit of a plug there today <laughs> um, you've certainly been saving my bacon in in many a way with um, home deliveries that doorbell goes constantly and there's quite a few of us live in this house. We're a biggish family. So with lots of Amazon consumers the doorbell <laughs> goes constantly so before we, or to wrap up, before we finish, I would love for you to leave our audience what we call your bounce back invitation, which is either a question you'd like to leave them to reflect on, think about, or a challenge you would like to set our audience as part of their bounce back or royal bee <laughs> journey. What's your bounce back invitation? My my bounce back invitation is to work out how can you show up, wise up and rise up. Where is it that you want to be and what is it that you need to learn or do to get to where you want to be and how are you going to show up to get there? And that's what I want to know from you guys and that's what I want you to think about. Perfect. Now you heard Danny. she said it. She wants to know. So by now, hopefully you know the drill. We've got the hashtag bounce back stronger. So share, where are you heading? Where's the gap and what are you going to do about it? Danny yeah. wants to hear from you. We Tell want to hear us. from you. Tell us. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute joy and maybe you'll come back and sing for us. I would love to. I would love to. That would be awesome. Yeah, we need to organize that. All right, lovelies. Thank you so much. And it just remains for me to say goodbye to all our listeners for now and catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life. Insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.